from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. The Fed balance sheet is up over $6 trillion just soaring the last couple of weeks. Not surprising, they said unlimited QE and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Every Thursday night that data comes out and I just like to look and see. And uh, the balance sheet continues to expand and if there's one thing we've seen throughout history, it's an expanding Fed balance sheet tends to be uh, a tailwind, I guess you could say, for equities here. Now, does an expanding balance sheet necessarily help the overall economy? Probably not. But from a stock market point of view, the Fed knows the playbook and they know an expanding Fed balance sheet historically has done well for stocks. And that's clearly the area we're in. So it's not something we'd want to bet against necessarily. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here up on the line up in Boston is Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, how's life up in Boston treating you today? Treat me okay, Ryan. Um, I, I think probably a little bit easier morning for me to manage than, than for you with those storms down there in South Carolina. I hope uh, your power's back and everybody's uh, safe at home. Yeah, Jeff, thank you for that. So if, for those of you that were in the southern part of the United States, southeast, we were hit with some major storms. And just south of Charlotte, I guess the the worst of the storms probably started like 4.30 in the morning because that's when my son showed up in my bed. And that's when the dogs, I got two dogs who are petrified of storms. And this was, they said a four or five year storm based on the wind and the way it got warmer in the evening. It's just this perfect swirl. And we did lose our power for a little bit. I heard something like, so we're in York County, almost 500 different houses still don't have power as of this morning. Um, Nonetheless, we, we're okay, but driving into the office this morning, the, um, there was a lot of trees and a lot of brush down, and it was, um, it was something. So anyway, it's part of this time of year, but we survived. And much like with um, the markets, with a lot of surviving, Jeff, let's just dive right into it for this week's um, podcast. The three things we want to touch on this week. A recession is here. We're going to talk about this week's weekly market commentary. The Fed, every four weeks ago today, the Fed cut interest rates to zero. Um, everyone, not everyone, a lot of people said the Fed's out of bullets. Well, that's anything but the truth, and they did more on last Thursday. Uh, we'll discuss that, the latest Fed bazooka. And the final thing is you can have a down year, and the stocks were down over 30% back on March 23rd of this year. We'd look at the S&P 500. The truth of the matter is, though, very large down years are relatively rare, and we're optimistic that stocks are potentially trying to carve out a major bottom and can bounce uh, maybe significantly, even from here to the rest of the year. So those are three things we're going to talk about. Jeff, first things first, a recession is here. For someone listening, you know, why do you think a recession is here? Yeah, Ryan, it's really, um, it's really the jobless claims that give us the, the strongest hint I mean, you know, everybody's forecasting a recession. It hasn't been officially declared yet. Right. Uh, but um, when you're talking about a low teens unemployment rate, uh, which is, you know, what you get when you add the jobless claims to it, which is higher, several points higher than what we saw during the worst of the financial crisis in 0809, it, it, it certainly is uh, recessionary. But at the same time, we have to keep in mind that the Official arbiter of recessions has not declared it one just yet. Uh, that's the uh, NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, they're a little late to declare, um, typically. By the way, two quarters of negative GDP growth is not the definition uh, that they use. Um, they use a few months, quote-unquote. 
of uh, essentially economic contraction, and they use more than GDP to uh, to tell them whether or not uh, a recession is here. But it, it's clear that that's where we're headed or where we are uh, right now, and, and certainly the markets and some of the most timely data has uh, told us that. No, you're right. I think that's something that even about a month and a half ago, I don't think I knew that, that you know we've all kind of grown up listening that it's two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, but they have changed that around some in the reality of the fact if you're you know 17 million initial claims filed the last three years, if you look at the annual total claims going back to the Great Recession, that's actually more than most years um, in the last three weeks. And again, that's about 10% of all the workers in the United States. So you start doing the math, you're talking you know, at least 10% unemployment, and it's happened obviously in a, in a quick fashion. Now, Jeff, this if you enter a recession, that means your expansion ended. So we had the all-time record 128 months in a row of an expansion, which likely peaked in February, ended in March. If you look at nominal GDP, though, this, I think this is an interesting point. It was 50% nominal GDP growth over the 10-plus year expansion. The average recession, going back to World War II, is like 49%. So the question I've asked before, yes, this is the longest expansion ever, but maybe it was just an average expansion. I mean, do you want to kind of add to the, some of those thoughts there? Sure. Yeah, the the amount of GDP that, that was added during the 10-plus year expansion is pretty normal, even though it was several years longer than the average expansion. So, you know, what does that mean? I mean, I, I think uh, it means if you don't go up as high, you don't have as far to fall. So maybe that suggests that even though this is going to be a very sharp contraction uh, in the second quarter, you could say it could have been worse. Um, but by, by no means is this not going to be a severe, um, a severe re- recession. So um, I, I'm not sure that people can take too much comfort in the fact that it was a gradual uh, expansion and we didn't generate the GDP growth that we have in some of the other expansions, in, in particular the one uh, in the 90s. But if, if there is, you know, some silver lining to glean from that. It's that there wasn't as much uh, of, of a bubble to burst. Yeah. You know, the old Wall Street saying it's hard to get hurt falling out of your basement window when you consider the fact that we've barely been able to print 3% GDP, even in some of the best years of this 10-year cycle. That puts in perspective just, and this is an argument a lot of people have had, is this is a really weak recovery, yet stocks did great, right? Stocks gained over 400%, yet the, the recovery, you could argue, didn't really help as many people as the stock market clearly did. Now, Jeff, it looks like, if I'm looking at the data correctly, the average recession, uh, we look back to, again to World War II, lasts about 11 months. Now, believe me, some are longer, like the most recent Great Recession, 18 months. But in the early, early 80s, we had a six-month recession, which was a short, a very historically short recession. I mean, w- which side of things do you think this uh, – I think I know which way you're going to answer this, but where do you think we lay in this one? More like a six-month recession or an 11-month recession? Oh, I, I think at this point, based on what we know, something around six months is much more likely – Yep. That's why it's been, I think, easier for investors to to look ahead to the other side of this, right? The stimulus is helping us bridge companies to the other side. The cause of the crisis will hopefully be contained in the next month or two, and then you can start to reopen the economy. 
that could lead to one of the shortest recessions we've we've seen. Probably one of the deepest, you know, given we're already at the highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression, based on the claims numbers right. we've seen. Uh, but it's quite possibly going to be one of the one of the quickest. And you know, what's interesting, um, and I think this is probably where you were going to go next, Ryan. Historically, bear markets bottom several months before recessions end. Yep. So if that pattern holds, we may have already seen a bottom here. No, exactly. You know, Barry Gilbert on our team mentioned this, you know, could be. This could be the first time we've ever seen a recession start the exact same month that stocks actually bottomed. Uh, like you mentioned there, we took a look in this week's weekly market commentary. We found stocks bottom about five months ahead of the economy when the recession officially ends. In other words, stocks are more forward-looking. They see kind of light at the end of the tunnel well before uh, we see in the economy. Just look at last week. I mean, we didn't even – I should have mentioned this at the start of the show – Last week, the S&P was up over 12%, the best weekly gain since October 74. If you look at the 13 days since the March 23rd lows, that was the lows of this uh, bear market, S&P is up 25% in 13 days, which is the best 13-day rally since July of 1938. So again, the, the economy is one thing, and it, it is very, very scary, and it doesn't show any major signs of bottoming anytime soon. But the stock market is obviously... Uh, looking forward and maybe saying things are better. Now, Jeff, one final note, I think, and then we'll get moving, but I think this is so interesting about, you know, we're in a recession and the longest um, expansion ever ended. You could argue that this recession was the first one that in, quote unquote, was caused by the government. Now, what do we mean when we say that, Jeff? Yeah, it, it's not the virus that caused the recession. It's right. the response to the virus, right? Uh, it's stay-at-home orders. It's lockdown. It's travel restrictions and all of that. I mean, you look no further than the restaurant industry, the airlines, the hotels, you know, a lot of the arts and entertainment. Um, this is, um, you know, what some are calling, you know, recession by fiat, <laughs> government-induced mm. recession. Yep. And, uh, you know, that that's, I mean, a recession is a recession and the job losses are devastating. But what that means is the, if the government caused it, the government can undo it to some extent. Right. A lot of this is going to be determined by the um, you know, the path of the virus. Right. And, and whether it truly can be contained and eventually cured. But uh, at the same time, the government has a lot of control over the path from here. No, exactly. You know, I, I it's not perfect. But in the early 80s, we had a massive, massive inflation problem over double digit inflation in our country. Six foot seven, Paul Volcker, tallest Fed chairperson ever. Um, he came in and just hiked rates, and he had the support of the president at the time as well. And when he hiked rates, that killed inflation. What did it also do, though? It caused a recession, almost a double-dip recession, if you will, in the early 80s. People probably knew if you hiked rates, that's probably going to send us to a recession. The positive is that near-term pain that we felt in the early 80s to kill recession really opened the door for the 18-year bull market from 1982 to 2000. So just um, kind of the, that was the last time I think we could say this is kind of like now where the government probably knew the short-term pain they were causing was for long-term gain. So, Jeff, let's go to the next thing, the Fed. And it is interesting. It was four weeks ago today. We all came in here. We were talking on the podcast. The Fed cut rates to zero. Markets were crashing. Markets, markets were still worried. It wasn't like they'd seen enough from the Fed um, on monetary policy. Now, we, those things have changed. But, you know, I love the quote by Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz said, 
Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. Well, how the Fed has responded to this, I don't even know where to start. Maybe let's just talk about on Thursday. I mean, they were anything but out of bullets uh, four weeks ago when they cut rates. Jeff, kind of high level, what did the Fed say on Thursday that first off got small caps up 4% soaring, but also kept this equity market, um, you know, a green day on the last day of the week, which is something we haven't seen in a while. What did the Fed say Thursday that got your attention? Wow, is, is all you can say here. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, Buying ETFs and buying high-yield bonds, buying municipal bonds, these are the things that surprised me most about the past, let's say, week or two. I mean, when they cut rates to zero and announced unlimited quantitative easing, frankly, I think a lot of people were expecting that, right? So you fast forward here uh, a few weeks, and, and now we're getting things that I don't think anybody expected. Uh, in fact, I think a few weeks ago on this podcast, I joked like maybe maybe they'll start buying equities, mm-hmm. and I was I was completely kidding, right? And that still probably won't happen, but it is not out of the realm of possibility uh, if if conditions worsen that that they would actually do that. Now, um, the good news is that they're supporting the areas that need to help the most. So, you know, high yield issuers certainly weaker balance sheets more potentially more stressed right now, particularly in the energy sector. Um, so that is certainly helpful. And, and uh, you know, that, that affects small caps and uh, high yields. We're still favoring quality in how we're investing, but uh, some of those more stressed areas uh, have bounced back really strongly, particularly high-yield bonds, frankly, uh, on Thursday. And uh, those areas historically have led the way out of bear markets and recessions. Oh, exactly. I mean, I guess the, the thing that got my attention, similar to what you said, the commitment to fallen angel debt is what the Fed called it. Just the high yield, which has just been crushed. High yield bonds are up almost 7% on Thursday on this new Fed backstop, which to put it in perspective was one of, the, without surprise here probably, one of the greatest one-day rallies we've ever seen in high yield debt. Um, and just the fact, again, like you said, they're buying ETFs now. I mean, it's 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 amazing. I guess you could say this isn't your father's Fed, right? You think about the Fed 10 years ago. I, I'm not saying the Great Recession caught them off guard, but some of what I've read and seen, it did seem like there was some just, you know, they didn't know what to do, and they just threw everything at it. It's almost like now the Fed's had 10 years to prepare for the next bad thing to happen, and now they, they, they are just, you know, dusting things off one after another, and it feels very orchestrated in my opinion and and just the latest is the backstop of the high yield and now helping um you know cities and states and the municipal side of things and then just more information on how the fed is going to loan money to small and mid mid-sized businesses as well it's um it's truly amazing jeff we've got about seven or eight minutes any fur any final comments on the fed or maybe we'll just wait a day and talk about the latest thing they do <laughs> right uh the the other thing i think worth noting is that um, Republicans, Democrats are uh, haggling over the next round of, of stimulus, which is, as of now, focused on small business, which is certainly uh, an, an area that needs a lot of help. Uh, and the Democrats reportedly are trying to add some things to that, more support for health care workers, more support for state and local government. So we'll, we'll get more, probably several hundred billion plus uh, of additional support for those areas, um, but we just will have to wait and see exactly what that looks like. And 
you know whether it, whether more is is added here. We've we've probably seen the biggest bazooka out of uh, you know, Congress and the executive branch, but uh, there will certainly be uh, more big programs uh, yet to come. Exactly. Final thing I'll say, then we'll go to the final subject. The Fed balance sheet is up over $6 trillion, just soaring the last couple of weeks. Not surprising. They said unlimited QE, and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Every Thursday night, that data comes out, and I just like to look and see. And uh, the balance sheet continues to expand. And if there's one thing we've seen throughout history, it's an expanding Fed balance sheet tends to be uh, a tailwind, I guess you could say, for equities here. Now, does an expanding balance sheet necessarily help the overall economy? Probably not. There's other things, like we talked about fiscal policy, which can do that. But from a stock market point of view, the Fed knows the playbook, and they know an expanding Fed balance sheet historically has done well for stocks. And that's clearly the area we're in, so it's not something we'd want to bet against necessarily. Jeff, the final thing we're going to talk about here, and you wrote a blog, I guess, uh, was it Wednesday last week? LPLResearch.com? It's such a blur, isn't it? Every day is a blur, but it was either Wednesday or Thursday last week. And I thought it was neat. You took a look at every single annual return for the S&P 500. What did you find? Yeah, thankfully, most of those returns are on the right-hand side of the graphic and not the left, right? So the, you basically <laughs> yep. just bucket annual returns, um, you know, by 10% cadres and you, uh, you know, put the appropriate year in, in the various buckets. And you, you see that big down years are really, really rare. In fact, we've, we've only had two big down years. Uh, and I would say, um, well, it depends on how you define them, but big down years, 25% down or more. That sounds big. That was, uh, yeah, that's really big. <laughs> 08 and 74. If, if we're just flat from here, we're going to be much better than that. Um, and then we had, you know, down 15 to down 25 a couple of years, 02, 73. So big, big down years are rare. This is, goes back to 1950. Uh, the other thing you see in the graphic is that it's really rare to have back-to-back big down years. So, you know, even if we end this year where we, where we are now, and that's a pretty big down year, the chances that we follow it up with another big down year are really low. Only 73-74 had back-to-back double-digit declines. So, you know, this situation, we've said it 100 times, and it's true. This situation is very, very different from anything we faced since World War II. But I think that there is a message here that people can take uh, that um, stocks are resilient. They go up over time. And, uh, you know, there's there's even a chance that we get back to the flat line here by December 31st. No, exactly. So to kind of summarize, you know, there's been approximately 70 years since 1950. Only four of them saw stocks finish down 15 percent. Now, on March 23rd, year to date, the S&P was down just a hair over 30 percent. With the recent very strong bounce, as of, I guess, last week, we'll say, uh, S&P is down approximately 15% year-to-date. So that kind of brings the question, can the S&P actually turn positive for the year? As crazy as that sounds, three weeks ago, I didn't think I'd be talking about that. But here we are with the S&P inching its way closer. The reality, Jeff, is if it does, it'd be a record. I took a look at all the years that were negative by a lot to actually finish higher. There's only been a handful of them uh, that were down, you know, as much as 20%. The largest ever 
was March, uh, I'm sorry, March 2009. The S&P was down 25% for the year and then came all the way back and was up well over 20%. That was obviously a major buying opportunity um, with a major reversal. But the reality is, you know, can the S&P get more into the negative 10 to negative 5 range by the end of the year after some volatility? We think that's, um, you know, potentially uh, uh, quite likely. Um, you know, let's see. So some of the recent years, that I found were down somewhere more than 10% year-to-date to finish green. These years might sound familiar. 82, 84, 2009, and 2016 were the recent years to be down double digits at one point and then managed to claw its way back. So, um, Jeff, the last thing I want to talk about here, we've got about two minutes or so. It is earnings season. And I know we're going to talk a lot more about earnings season next week, but kind of high level, what are you expecting from earnings season? And should we even pay attention to this quarter's earnings? It's kind of where the camp I'm in. Everyone's going to say it's terrible. It's going to be more about the guidance maybe next quarter. But what do you think for investors this week? Yes, it's all about the guidance, right? Um, Q1 numbers don't mean much because we had, you know, two thirds of the quarter pretty normal. And then uh, you know, the collapse in the back half of March. Um, analysts are calling for a low double-digit decline in Q1. Um, that's reasonable to me. But Q2, that's where, um, you know, I think investors are going to take their cues and, and how we're going to, uh, in the end, you know, declare this earnings season, you know, really bad or, or not too bad or up. Even encouraging potentially, we could see some encouraging signs. Right. Um, and so, to add some color to that, I mean, consensus is now looking for about down 20 uh, earnings in Q2, and then a ramp up to close to flat by the end of the year. That's possible. It's not going to be easy, but possible. Uh, I think you know the biggest theme here for for the earnings season is going to be haves and have-nots. Right. We're going to see companies well positioned for this. And we're going to see companies that are not. So for the companies that are well positioned, I think you're going to see stocks respond very favorably to the results and the guidance. Certainly a lot of stay-at-home stocks um, are in that category, you know, some consumer staples, some healthcare, <clears throat> communication services, and internet, right? But we're also going to see uh, some of the companies from the hardest hit industries, like hotels, restaurants, airlines, et cetera. Uh, where investors are just going to be looking, uh, looking at the floor, right? Just how bad could this get uh, if uh, if the shutdowns continue potentially through May? Okay, so yeah, good stuff there, and we'll talk a lot more about earnings and earnings season next week on the LPL Market Signals podcast. So, uh, final comments from me here, then we'll sign off for the week. Um, thank you so much again for the continued listenership. Obviously, everyone is in quarantine right now, staying at home, trying to stay healthy. Little little thought for you here. I, I was reading about the Black Plague. I guess apparently I was bored. In the 1350s, tragically, one almost one-third of Europe passed away. And when it was finally figured out what was going on, the ships were coming to sea, and they was bringing the Black Plague with it. So what they did was they made the sailors stay for 40 days on their ships before they could come aboard um, aboard land. And that was kind of considered the first quarantine, which comes from the Latin word, hope I say this right, the Latin word for 40, quad rag inta. Hope I said that correctly. That is the Latin word for 40, and that is where the word quarantine actually uh, comes from. So just probably useless trivia, but I thought it was interesting. So everyone, thank you again for being here this week for the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Thanks, Jeff, for joining us, and we'll be back next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. 
This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, Please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.